0: What is it? The the North American Great Tit or something like that.
1: There's a few. There's like the Blue-footed Booby.
0: The Blue-footed Booby has a little stompy dance, yeah, mating ritual. Yeah, I do. Which is so great.
1: I mean, it's just all time, all time animal. <sighs> Here you go.
0: But like, I thought that was our <laughs> intro.
1: It can be. Welcome to not-so-young-adults, <laughs> two former teens try to recapture the glory days of their youth by discussing their favorite YA books to figure out what makes them so timeless. My name is Spencer, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host and our resident librarian, Jess. How you doing, Jess?
0: Hi, I'm doing pretty great. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing just fine.
0: I'm excited for tonight.
1: Yeah, so this is going to be a new thing we're doing, it's kind of a mini-sode series. We're going to do it in between books because takes a while to read a book and then write a whole thing about it. Yeah. And we're trying to do books in whole. Don't want to just do break them all into chapters. So we're going to do this to kind of hold you over. Because outside of just covering YA books, there's a lot of book topics I like to talk about and think about all the time. And so we're going to do a thing where in these mini sodes, I'm going to have a book topic that I'm going to present to Jess, who is coming in completely unaware. She has no idea what we're going to be talking yeah, about I today.
0: Literally, yeah, I don't even know anything
1: you never do. I didn't
0: even know we were doing this until like five minutes ago. Yeah,
1: Jess was in bed and I just <laughs> set up a microphone in front of her.
0: That's a joke, but I really don't know what's going on. So, I mean, yeah. you can consider this an improv episode for me.
1: A musical improv?
0: I am mm-hmm. I'm the Jackman.
1: Yeah, if any of you guys don't have the streaming service Dropout, uh, we highly recommend it. Wave. Yeah,
0: we literally can't stop watching.
1: We, I think, subscribe to two streaming services the British TV streaming service, BritBox. BritBox and Dropout, which is college humor is reborn, but Network they have everything kind of from Dungeons and Dragons to a musical improv show to Game Changer, where it's a game show where the game's different every episode. Can't, hi- can't recommend it enough.
0: Yeah, it's really good. It, it's, we literally yeah. have not watched anything else. No,
1: it, there's so but it's so good. <laughs> but what is this episode about, you may be asking? Demanding, even.
0: Yeah, aren't we a book podcast? We
1: are, and today we are going to be covering weird book genres...
0: Heck yeah. I'm not super well-versed in niche genres, so I'm excited to see what we get to talk about today.
1: I thought I was pretty well-versed in niche book genres, but I, in fact, am not. And there's a lot of them.
0: I feel like you are very much a classical Yeah. and like...
1: I'm pretty mainstream. You're I'm pretty, pretty straight mainstream. Forward. I
0: mean, your favorite authors Murakami and F. Scott Fitzgerald. Need pretty, I, say pretty
1: normie. Pretty, <laughs> I Pretty pretty normy. Pretty. I got pretty normy. Nor- it's that, and then I like YA books. So I'm pretty. Yeah, and I, like uh,
0: your favorite book is The Secret History. Like that is Tumblr's book.
1: It is. It is the the the, the book that Tumblr built, <laughs> or the Tumblr that the book made. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I as as much as I want to be a pompous snooty book guy, I am pretty pretty basic. I do read some <laughs> weird stuff every you now do, and then. You do. So we're going to get into weird book genres. We're going to start out with a little game, Jess. Have you heard of two truths and a lie?
0: Yeah, I'm on I'm going to be honest. I am pretty good at it when people are talking about their personal lives, but when it comes to like fun facts and what I think we're about to do right now, I'm honestly really not good.
1: I feel like Two Truths and a Lie, it's pretty basic. Everyone's doing that now. So I Mm. bumped it up. We're doing Three Truths and Two Lies.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Because I wanted to talk about
1: three books this episode. Okay. Got it. Got it. it. So I'm going to give you five book genres, Mm -hmm. and you're going to try to guess-
0: which are the ones that are not real. Yeah.
1: So there's going to be two fake ones, three real ones.
0: Okay. Okay. Give it to me, baby.
1: All right. We have Bizarro Fiction, mm. which is just extremely weird books. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: We also have Pre-Modern, the mm-hmm. opposite of Post-Modern. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then we have Bio-Romance, which is romance stories, but between two non-human biologics.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Cashier Memoirs. Self-explanatory. Oh, I hate
0: that. Okay
1: and er- ergodic ergodic which is books but with extra work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, like the ones that you have to like put all the pages in the correct order or <laughs>
1: books with homework. <laughs>
0: you're right, you're right. Um okay, let's
1: Books for people with a lot of free time.
0: I really want to say the cashier one is not true, but mm-hmm. like uh, that seems also that it could just be like really niche. But I'll go with my gut instinct. Okay. I'll say that that one's not true. And could you please repeat the first three real quick?
1: Bizarro Fiction, mm-hmm. Pre-Modern, mm-hmm. Bioromance, Cashier Memoir.
0: Okay. I'm going to go with Cashier Memoir and Bizarro. Are? in Like, not real.
1: You are absolutely wrong. <laughs> no! I made up Pre-Modern and Bioromance.
0: Oh. My see, al- okay. I had a slight feeling that Pre-Modern, but like... I don't know. I would kind of
1: see the thing I was thinking about. What what would pre modern even be? It's true because it seems so like a many. thing. But then if you but the idea of having a pre modern actually just seems post post modern.
0: You're so right because but also like post modern is more of just like
1: just going up your own butt and just like self referencing, acknowledging the fiction within itself.
0: Yeah, but to
1: undo that would just be. Book? It would
0: just be like normal, right? Right. <laughs> be like a normal book, not necessarily yeah. postmodern. modern Okay. Uh, or my, pre-modern. The
1: other one I came up with as a fake one was orphan core, which I, is just <laughs> extremely sad orphan okay, stories. Okay,
0: but I think that might actually be a genre. Maybe not like a verified genre, but right. like orphan core is definitely a thing.
1: That's kind of that's where I got the idea, and that's why I decided not to go with that because I'm like it, that kind of it, already exists. It pro- yeah, it's called <laughs> fantasy YA. <laughs> It's already there. Yeah. But yeah, let's so uh, we're just going to talk about the three real ones and see if you guys maybe we'll learn something.
0: Yeah, I would love to. Okay, so the real ones are the bio romance. No,
1: Bizarro Fiction, Cashier Memoir, and Ergodic.
0: Ergotic. okay the ergodic one i'm actually really excited to learn more about Mm -hmm. because i feel like i've seen a couple of these types of books mentioned in tiktoks on book talk yeah and i would always see that and think spencer would love that Spencer loves giving himself homework
1: (laughs) i do i really do i kind of just make regular books ergodic
0: no okay Mm -hmm. i might be jumping the gun okay i won't jump the gun what a
1: weird phrase it, I What's don't even, even know where it comes from. Oh, Maybe jumping forward in a race before the gun goes off.
0: Yeah, that could be it for sure. But then also if you're in like the front lines of the war, you don't want to go in front of the gunman. No, no. Okay, anyways. Jess uh, has I'll been just... reading Art of War. So would Ergodic be like a book that has been published prior to any editing? Basically published for you to read and edit to like practice being a book editor because i've also seen a that book a- like that, that oh exists.
1: i was gonna say babe uh we're cutting that because that's i'm stealing that idea
0: i've heard of oh it's so and so like published this book and it's it's like an unedited book that right. you like can read to be an editor and make changes and like yeah. take notes and stuff
1: so one absolutely that falls in ergotic. okay two that sounds like a man who couldn't find an editor <laughs>
0: it was a woman and no i think it was very purposeful i think it might have even been like kind of artistic as, at the same time like
1: not to always bring them up but the vog brother i think hank posted a video one time where he just posted the raw footage mm. without edits Okay. And then people want to learn video editing, like practice editing this, because then he posted his, the edited version of the video, mm. and they he also posted his script. I thought that was a really cool thing for him to do.
0: Yeah, same vibe. So. made me
1: feel really good about our podcast, because the amount of stops and starts he would do.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> but anyways, so let's get into these genres. We okay. start with bizarro fiction. I will say the messiest of today's genres.
0: That sounds like it's the messiest.
1: Bizarro fiction, as it's called, is a pretty modern genre that uses a combination of absurdism, satire, often combined with over-the-top gore and violence. And I mean like over the the over-the-top, ridiculous beyond being realistic. It uses all this to create this kind of subversive, strange, but oddly entertaining world and vibe. A lot of people describe it as like um, exploitation films, chroma films and stuff. But to me, it reminds me of Grindcore, the metal genre, where it's oh, okay. all about just being as fast and as crazy as possible with it's the most like ridiculous gross songs. And... Just being gross and absurd and subversive. But it, it's also, I think, like the weird films Greg and Earl would watch and me, Earl the Dying Girl.
0: I see. Okay,
1: but but I think I can give you a better picture of what the genre is if I just name you some of the titles. Okay, we got things like Satan Burger, the Haunted okay. Vagina, OOP, Scum of the Earth. I see. Swarm of Flying Eyeballs. <sighs> we may have to cut this one, but Ass Goblins of Auschwitz. Okay. Puppet Skin.
0: Puppet Skin. Puppet
1: Skin. Okay. And the surprisingly whimsical Space Walrus. I like space walrus. I do too. And the cover is exactly what you imagine. It's a walrus in an astronaut suit. Good for them. That's a fun one.
0: I don't know that I would like this at all.
1: I don't think I would either, but it's definitely a vibe.
0: I see how it could come to be. Especially I... whenever you're comparing it to that grind cord. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, in a world where a subgroup of the population likes to be anti-mainstream. Right. You're going to find the weirdest of weird. The weirdest of weird that is trying to be too yeah,
1: weird exactly and i definitely see how if once you start getting into this it's hard to go back and read catcher in the rye <laughs> you know like you can't really no, just well, go I definitely stephen king doesn't that. do anything for you anymore because
0: i kind of like spiraled into a romance spiral it took me a while to get back into ya because i'm like this is nothing compared right. to what i've been reading but you kind of have to step out of it for a while to kind of gain some Better perspective.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Passionate kisses don't have the same feel after you've read a book about milking minotaurs.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I get Um, it.
0: I will say... I think the main reason why I wouldn't like these is not necessarily because of the content, although I mm-hmm. really don't like that much violence. I'm not a very, mm-hmm. I'm not a violence kind of gal, but I think it would be that it would be trying too hard. I don't like books that try too hard.
1: That's kind of the vibe I get to. That's kind of where I feel it just feels a bit much. Yeah. And it's not interesting anymore.
0: Like it needs to have a purpose. And if the purpose is to be outrageous, I don't know that I necessarily like that. Right. I like the idea of chaos and like that being an art form, but the way that you're describing this genre is Mm -hmm. just kind of not quite that.
1: Well, let me give you give you a bit more information and see how we feel when we get to the end of it. Because I will say I had the similar I had a similar reaction at the beginning. Okay. So the genre started in the early 2000s, and these kind of books were starting to pop up in uh, in like the mid 90s and stuff, but it didn't. Mm really become a cohesive defined thing until around 2005 when you had these three main publishing companies eraserhead press which named after a david lynch film who's makes the kind of movies that people who like these kind of books would probably be into and and then also after book books and raw dog screaming press which i think also tell you about this genre yeah So they all kind of developed the cult following around these same unique catalogs that they had and books that they were publishing. And they found that these books didn't really fall under under any typical genre. They weren't quite sci-fi or speculative fiction. They weren't horror. They weren't the New Weird, which is a whole other genre we'll cover on a different episode.
0: I'm intrigued with that as well.
1: New Weird is definitely, it's a whole thing. Okay. And there's every article about Bizarro makes the point of this is not New Weird. It's a different thing. So I had to learn a whole bunch (sighs) about New Weird.
0: Interesting. uh, let me just say that this is a fascinating topic for me mm-hmm. because I find your discussion or explanations of the different sub genres of mm-hmm. metal music to be just like super fascinating yeah <laughs> um and I feel like similar vibe right now.
1: I've had the same thought as I was doing this. I'm like, this feels a lot like getting into the nitty gritty of all the metal sub genres. Uh uh What's the difference between speed metal and thrash metal? Well, I think I
0: could tell. That's a big difference between those two. Those two, I'd
1: say, are pretty similar. Are they? It's hard. It's Anyway, difficult.
0: we're not going to get They're, into it. That's a different podcast. Yes. I was about to make a <laughs> whole
1: point that no one wants to hear. So these publishers, I got mixed answers to who actually coined it, but between them, they came up with their new genre to describe their particular vibe, and that was Bizarro, which okay. I really like. Yeah. And Rose O'Keefe of Eraserhead Press, who I think is kind of the the big dog in all these, mm-hmm. explains what the genre What makes the genre unique and why it is different? And she says, basically, if an audience enjoys a book primarily because of its weirdness, then it's bizarro. Weirdness might not be the work's only appealing quality, but it is the major one. And I think that's the the lens to look at this. It is if you want it to be as strange as possible, if you want to be as confused as you can.
0: Okay, so it's basically performance art.
1: Exactly. That's a great way to put it. Got it. So the genre has actually grown quite a bit from like a niche, deeply niche community to now having over a dozen dedicated publishing companies. It's own writing workshops. They have several books that have been nominated and I think have won some pretty mainstream awards. Like the Philip K. Dick Award, I think one was nominated for. for That's a fun name. He was sci-fi, speculative fiction kind of guy. And they have a yearly convention called the Bizarro Con.
0: I like that for them. Yeah, me too.
1: And so I just want to give a quick few
0: descriptions
1: of some of these Bizarro books, starting with Seichenberger, which was kind of the first big hit in the Bizarro fiction. The cover, from what I could tell, is a, pers- a naked person bent over and we're looking at their butt. Okay. You know what? I'm just going to read the description that Eraserhead Press has for this book. Okay. It's a bit lengthy, but I don't know where to begin or edit this. Absurd philosophies, dark surrealism, the end of the human race. God hates you, all of you. He closed the gates of heaven he wants you to rot on earth forever. Not only that, he is repossessing your souls and feeding them to a large vagina-like machine called the WAUM. An interdimensional doorway that brings his new children into the world. He loves these new children, but he doesn't love you. They are more interesting than you. They are beautiful, psychotic, magical, sex-craved, and deadly. They are turning your cities into apocalyptic chaos and there's nothing you can do about it. Featuring a narrator who (laughs) sees his body from a third-person perspective, a man whose flesh is dead but his body parts are alive and running amok, an overweight messiah, the personal (laughs) life of the Grim Reaper, lots of classy sex and violence, and a motley group of squatter punks that team up with the devil to find their place in a world that doesn't want them anymore
0: interesting this
1: generation's vonnegut says vincent sakowski
0: <laughs> what is this man's credentials to be able to say that
1: i would only believe that about this book if kurt vonnegut said that <laughs> so um we also have books like washer Mouth by kevin O. Uh, sorry uh satan burgers by Carlton carlton malik the third don't know okay. if that's a real name
0: okay
1: uh but then we also have books like washer mouth by kevin Donahue, which is about a washing machine who becomes human in order to follow his dreams of becoming a soap opera star
0: i really like that so they're
1: not all just like evil chaos that's
0: a fun plot
1: we also have shatner quake by jeff burke which is a story about when every character that william shatner has ever played suddenly enters our reality with a single mission to hunt down and destroy the real william shatner <laughs>
0: I feel like a lot of these would be great graphic novels.
1: I agree with you. This has weird indie graphic novel energy. It
0: really does. That's
1: a great, great point. Um, and then my favorite, and probably the only one I might actually read, is Sam Pink's Person, which is described as the bizarro equivalent of Albert Camus', Camus The Stranger, which if anyone's read that that book, The Stranger, it's already really surreal and uh, off-putting. Okay. But the story is described as person is written in the first person and is about a person living in Chicago.
0: How many persons are there in that sentence?
1: (laughs) One quote from the book that I found is what kind of makes me want to read it. Okay. And I think you'll get why I'm drawn to it. It goes, quote, I live in Chicago and I don't get along with a lot of people and the reasons are always new and wonderful. A that's, weird that's surreal good. loveliness to that sentence that yeah. I just, I'm kind of drawn to in a way I can't describe.
0: I can see your attraction for it. I don't think I would ever read it. No,
1: but... it's got a bit of a Mirakami vibe. Yeah, a bit of an Albert Camus vibe. <laughs> I get what they're getting at. A bit of a. It seems very nihilistic and kind of desolate. Uh huh. In a way I can vibe with. If any of you are somehow interested in getting into the genre, which I don't. I don't judge against. I. I can see. I could see how one could fall into this and like not and really get into this kind of thing oh, because it's sure. a very specific vibe yeah there's one book about a guy who marries his house but then there's like an apocalypse but it's like a house-based apocalypse all the houses are being sent to heaven and he's like has to go to heaven to bring his house back home i can
0: vibe with that And
1: i'm like it's kind of fun actually i kind of get I've, that
0: it feels very i don't know american i don't i don't know <laughs> oh, why it, it really does <laughs> But to me, it does feel that way. Like, I feel like there's more appeal for that It feels like a book
1: written in 2008. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like a man's somewhat really deeply trying to cope with the housing crisis.
0: Right, right. Like, his whole identity is within this house. And so if he doesn't have a house, he's no longer the man he thought he was. I get it. Holy crap,
1: babe. Wow. That's a great angle on this. (laughs) I think you're right. That's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, but if you guys do want to get into the series, Eraserhead Press, they sell starter kits that come with a series oh, I of books love this. that you can order. And That's fun. Yeah. And so you, I know, like, if I wasn't 90 percent sure i'd hate all of them i would get it because that sounds really intriguing yeah i love diving into a whole new world like that mm-hmm. so I, I encourage you if anyone who's listening might be into that but crossover. please do
0: it and tell us Go for because it. i mean we got a lot of books so we got to be reading this year
1: i don't have time to start <laughs> doing really bizarro cannot. yeah i just don't i don't have the space but
0: we'd love to hear from you
1: <laughs> talk about a book i could not predict <laughs> So moving on to our next genre, which is also I would say difficult to read, but in a very different way, mm. which is ergodic. Okay, we talked yes, about a bit earlier. Yes. So like, ergodic literature is a term to describe books with non traditional formatting that require some amount of work from the reader in order to consume the text beyond moving your eyes and turning a page.
0: I'll tell you right now, the first book. And okay, I have. A, I feel like I have a lot to say about this one particular genre. Which and surprised, I'm surprised, but I'm very excited, excited about. It. Yeah. <laughs> But you pointed out a book or you pulled out a book from a a shelf. And I don't know if you remember this. I'm
1: pretty sure I know what you're talking about.
0: And I don't know what bookstore we were at because we've been to a lot of bookstores. friends. But the text was on like different sides of Mm -hmm. the page Mm -hmm. and it was all topsy turvy. And you're like, check this out. This is the most insane book I've ever seen. Yep. I would think that that's probably ergodic.
1: It is not only ergodic, it is my first example. Okay. Okay. It is the most popular book in this genre.
0: And what is that title? We'll get to it. Okay. Okay.
1: So real quick, just to make it clear what this genre is, it's different from books like, say, Infinite Jest or Ulysses, where- Which just hard to read. We, but <laughs> yes. But they require a lot of work to comprehend. Mm-hmm. But in an ergodic book, you can't even decipher it in a straightforward manner. It is not oh, okay. simply- you can open up Infinite Jest and read each sentence, mm-hmm. and you might be confused as to what it's all about, but you each you can just read it straightforward. But straight if you forward. read it like
0: a normal book, then it reads like a normal book.
1: And Infinite Jest might be a bad example because you could even argue it's a bit ergodic because it's all weird. All the footnotes. <laughs> all the footnotes that refer to other footnotes that refer to calculus equations, you know. Mm-hmm, but, like, mm-hmm. those are still, like, text telling a story okay. in, in a normal manner okay. somewhat. I'd say Ulysses is a better example. Ulysses is confusing, but you can just read it straightforward. But Mm. the most famous book in this genre is what you mentioned, House of Leaves by (sighs) Mark Danielewski. Mm. So this you'll find at any of your bookstores you go to. It's famous because it's a very wild book to just even look at. It's basically a haunted house story. Some say a love story. I like that. But it is told in a series of letters featuring numerous footnotes indexes with texts of various fonts colors sizes placements on the page so like entire passages are written in within margins of other passages Mm. they're also upside down sometimes or sideways some things are written red some characters speak only in blue it's it's a whole thing and so on one hand that sounds like a nightmare but could
0: you imagine being the copy editor for that?
1: <laughs> I don't even know how you'd be good. I believe the book started as a series of blog posts online uh, that then got turned okay. into a book when it got popular. But still, yeah, to be that guy to go, oh, okay, how do we, how, how do, do we, we print, th- yeah, how do we, we print this, this and then print it out? Yeah, they had to make a special printing press for this thing. <laughs> they had to call, um,
0: what's his name? What's his name? <laughs> what's his name? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They had to
1: call Gutenberg's great yeah. great great grandson to, <laughs> to. Um, Consult on the. <laughs> oh, that's a joke only you and I will find funny. But it is stated. Uh, so it sounds like a nightmare to try to read, but that's kind of the, th- the thing about it is that the effort it takes to get through it makes that experience so much more rewarding, and it really ties the audience intrinsically with the book in a kind of symbio- symbiotic relationship.
0: They're part of the story. Right,
1: because there's also like ciphers. Those are like puzzles you have to figure out, and it's that experience is that labor that i think connects people to the book in a way that you don't get with other books the same reason there's such a fervent fan base for books like infinite jest Mm -hmm. is because not a lot of people are going to be willing to put in the effort to see it through to the end and like really understand it but when you do it is so amazing because it it is such a vast it's such a huge thing and there's such a small community that will share that with you and that's kind of the thing with all ergotic books. I think that's the appeal to them is that they create a, a special connection with the reader that you only get through this interactive format.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And also just, like, puzzles are very satisfying. Yeah, yeah. You can figure it out.
1: Well, I think it's the same appeal as, like, an escape room.
0: Oh, definitely. I saw a TikTok once about a book that had, like, a prize attached to it that, like, mm. if you could put these pages in the correct order. I think it was like a murder mystery type thing. So it was like one of those things that you couldn't quite... It could be in multiple orders. Is this a book that you're about it's, to talk I think about? It's the next
1: example. Okay. I have. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I've heard of this before. Because the TikToker was like, "I'm gonna try and solve it. Yeah. Follow me on my journey." I
1: don't know about the. I didn't heard about the prize thing, but I think it's very similar. At least very similar to the next book I'm gonna talk about. Okay. Great. Let's talk about. I can't, it. I never would expect you to have any knowledge <laughs> on this one.
0: I I'm don't amazed. know
1: why. No. It's TikTok- I love that. I think it's great. These are very TikTokable. Books to talk about yeah, because they they're very a fun. I have
0: high interest and in like uh, you, they're buzzy. Well,
1: and they just got a great premise. This next book that we may be both be talking about is called *The unfortunates by B.S. Johnson.
0: Maybe I don't. I wouldn't. It also, know. sounds like
1: a fake name. <laughs> yeah. B.S. Johnson. I'm come sure on. it is. <laughs> but the book is composed of 27 unbound sections. Mm-hmm. There's one that's marked chapter one, and there's one that's marked as the last. The first chapter and one that's marked as the last chapter. All of the other 25 are unlabeled, so you can read it in any way you want. It's kind of like a choose-your-adventure book, uh-huh. but you have these... Um- near infinite combinations of ways to read it. I probably should have, I should have figured out a way to calculate this, but um, <laughs> there, there, there's got to be, it, the number of ways you could read that with 25 different variations, yeah, got to be a lot. incredibly high. Right. So I, so that's really exciting. That's the whole thing. A more like literary example is uh, Vladimir Nabokov of Lolita fame. Probably his next most famous book is a book called Pale Fire, which begins with a 999 line poem
0: Oh, God. of the
1: same name written by a fictional poet John Shade and this poem is followed by an academic analysis complete with a foreword and an index of the poem by another f- fictional character a professor named Charles Kinbote
0: I'm already over this I
1: started reading this book not knowing the premise <laughs> I couldn't tell you how confused I was <laughs> So, yeah. So um, there's a lot of books like these. There's like the uh, Illuminaries, which is it's a pretty recent book that was really popular. But it's like an espionage thriller about Ooh. a c- corporate conspiracy that's told all through emails and blacked out documents and transcripts of interviews and stuff. So it's all, you know, that kind of I feel thing. I like
0: I've heard of this, too. You
1: have. And I keep thinking I own it, but I own a book with a similar cover called City on Fire, and I keep thinking I have the other book. (laughs) They (laughs) look very similar. And then finally, there's a non-book example that I thought was really interesting, and I just wanted to talk about. Okay. It's a play. Okay. I'm going to let you guess who the author is. I'm going to give you a hint. The play came out in 1935.
0: 1935. Arthur Miller.
1: No. No. 35.
0: Sorry. 35 is... Okay, think what? You think, me hint? So
1: this is my reaction to seeing the author's name.
0: All right. I Sorry. made a stink face. I don't know face. why I said Arthur Miller. No, no, that's a you good guess. playwright, but he's like in the 60s. Now. No,
1: but that's a fair guess.
0: Um. Okay, stink face, 1930s. He's an author or is he a playwright?
1: If I said he, I didn't mean She's to. an
0: author. Oh. <laughs> I know this. Ayn Rand. Yeah,
1: my girl Rand. <laughs> Our favorite... <laughs>
0: You love to hate her. Oh,
1: just love sorry dad, but I just don't I don't I don't agree with her. I just don't. That's good. But this is actually really interesting. So it's a stage play by Ayn Rand of all people. (laughs) And it's called Night of January 16th. And so the play is set in a murder trial. Okay. So the play you're watching the trial of a murderer, but the jury is composed of people from the audience.
0: This is exciting! Isn't
1: this great? Great premise. Yes. Already, so the jury—you're an audience member—they go in, and ideally, they've never seen the play before. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. The whole story is told through testimony, prosecution, defense—all that is told through the trial, right? And the jury is then taken off stage to deliberate for some time, where yeah. then the actors kind of go over some scenes and stuff the jury comes out and they make a verdict. Yeah. And so there's two endings to the play. One where the guilty and then one was not guilty. I think that's a great
0: premise for a play. Amazing. Okay. This kind of reminds me of recently. There Mm -hmm. was this play going on and I don't know what the name of it and I don't know know what the name of it is and I don't know who the main actor is, but it went on for like 24 hours. There were some breaks here and there, but like the same main actress... Mm-hmm. And it's like a breakup scene. Oh god. And she does the same scene over and over and over again, but with different actors as her opposite. And so they play it in different kind of ways. And she's she's doing she she's has the same lines or whatever, but based off of who oh. is her opposite kind of changes things up a bit. But it's like performance art. Play kind of reminded me of that. It was like it's pretty recent.
1: The second woman, Ruth Wilson, to star opposite 100 Men 24 Hour Play.
0: Yes, that's I
1: love that idea. Yes, I'm so into that. I love that. That's so dope
0: for sure. For sure.
1: So, but i Rand's play, as much as I love that premise, it, it was pretty middling reviews. People okay, weren't they're like, fair, fair it. enough, it kind of got you know, it was kind of like everyone's like, oh, it's like a gimmick. Kind of had a Kiss reaction. Everyone's like, "Kiss is just a gimmick, isn't real mm. play?" No one mm-hmm. cared about like the content of the play.
0: Again with the metal music comparisons.
1: I don't know if I'd call Kiss metal. Okay, but fair enough. enough. They're like more. Right but they did right, inspire right. the black metal face paint. Exactly. So, yeah. Corpse yeah, yeah, yeah. Paint, so corpse good. paint. So they would get celebrities often who attended the show, and they they'd make a big deal about the celebrities being in the jury because of mm. course they would. Yeah. They did actually one performance. It was I don't know what they actually did to change it, but they had a performance for the blind, and Helen freaking Keller was no. in the jury.
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Could you imagine being declared guilty of a murder by Helen Keller? I demand a retrial.
0: Would she be reading it in braille?
1: I imagine she did the thing where her tutor would sign in her hand. That was of, how she of the different. Learned, okay, got, yeah, it, got it. Got it. Got it. Whole thing it's weird we knew learned so much about helen keller growing up no
0: we we do but like it's still very interesting to me to think about like the nuances that might be missed and just kind of like how she's gonna have a completely different perspective than you and i who are like watching it right right or hearing it yeah all right we can't be hung up on helen keller we gotta get through this
1: yeah, So, but Ayn Rand was really upset because everyone was, like, all about the uh, gimmick of the jury. And she's like, no, the whole point of the jury thing is that the jurors are, are actually choosing between individualism and conformity. Because it's Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. Yeah, That's yeah, the only it, thing she cares it. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, so, if you do want to get in this genre, and for some reason you don't have, like, hour free, you know, several hours every day that you can spend on deciphering really weird books... I would recommend, not to be a parody of myself, I would recommend The Secret Library, The Strange Library by Haruki Murakami. I swear <laughs> I read books by other authors.
0: All right, all right. But
1: so this is actually a novella. It's a very short book, but it's about a boy who goes on a trip to a library, but is thrown into a nightmarish l- labyrinth by an old man who threatens to eat the boy's brains unless he memorizes three books. Three books. And despite the, like, dark-sounding premise, the book is aimed at a, a younger audience. The most recent English publication, the one you will see at Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. or wherever you go, is, is like, half illustrations, uh-huh. half text. So it's kind of like a kid's book. But the illustrations aren't literal depictions of what's happening in the story. They're more abstract depictions of the main character's emotional state at the time in the mm-hmm. book so it's a very pretty book i don't own it but i've, I've flipped through it at the bookstore before and it, it's, it's lovely and it's weird and it's kind of that divide between normal text and a different media medium that ergotic is mm-hmm. but i think it's a much more easy way to get into that than like a house of leaves hmm. but then finally we round things out with a much more chill genre. Cashier Memoirs. It's basically what it sounds like. It's just true life stories about cashiers.
0: How many books are in this genre? How many books does it take to be a genre? That's the real question. question. That
1: really is. But I don't know how many books are in the genre, but it is a very new and not super big genre, at least in America. It's much more popular in Europe. It's become a, a kind of a hit. Phenomenon.
0: Fair enough. Okay. It honestly reminds me of like this TikTok trend of women creators pretending to be Karens, role playing almost mm. of interact. Like, say they're a waitress and like these are the terrible customers they've had to deal with, or they're like a cashier and like, can you believe? the audacity of this person to expect this out of me kind of vibes.
1: I mean, once again, babe, you've nailed it. Um, <laughs> you, that's exactly what it is.
0: Okay, that's, then that makes sense because there's a lot of appeal for that, apparently.
1: No, the, the, so the there's a few books that have kind of gotten really popular, starting with 2009 with a French novel that became a surprise bestseller called Check Out uh, a Life on the Tills by mm-hmm. Anna Sam, mm-hmm. who describes the the job as a cashier as... One of the most desirable vantage points from which to enjoy the full pantheon of human idiocy.
0: I enjoyed being a cashier so much. Favorite job I've ever had, I think. (laughs)
1: the the book started out as blog posts and basically her she made like a whole blog site about like basically crazy things i see every day as a cashier and Mm -hmm. like this mom was awful this person tried to steal cds because cds existed then and (laughs) stuff like that and so so very much tiktok energy it kind of started with that viral sensation that got turned into a book yeah and that would be one thing if that was just this one story got turned into a book, but that kept happening. Yeah. There's a German book, um, a German cashier named Carmela Narcissi called 99 Faces in One Day. Which First
0: is, off, what a name.
1: Right? But. Carmela Narcissi? Yeah. Narcissi Narcissi? Narc- Narcissi? Either I'm, Narcissi. Way,
0: I'm enjoying it.
1: But it, it was basically the same thing happened. They just had a humorous, interesting look at this kind of drudgery position in the world. And it, people really responded to it. I think there's something to a cashier is such a, we have so many interactions with cashiers, but oh, they're yeah. always so peripheral. They're always so clouded behind a perfunctory performance of our lives. We have to go to a store and buy things in the cashier where we have to interact with them, but it's yeah. so they're disconnected. They're just like a
0: blip in our, our daily life, but like right. they deal with every kind of human being.
1: Right, and I I worked as a cashier at Barnes and Noble for mm-hmm. uh, for a while, and I had a lot of thoughts about these things. Sort of like, would anyone ever remember our interactions? And I have like all these interactions that are so fleeting, and I wonder how long it takes for them to completely erase this interaction we have. And same for me. Oh yeah, and just like it, it's just for someone like me who social interactions take a I think a bigger toll on me than a lot of people. Yeah, it was it was weird going through so many in a day so flippantly like that were the mm-hmm. way especially compared to like my other work as a performer. And I had these interactions where I was trying to entertain people and I was much more reliant on a satisfactory re- dynamic between oh, me and yeah. the audience. And then having this where to even try to like be funny or entertaining or try to have something more in this relationship was like a hindrance to everyone involved. Yeah. It's a weird thing. So, so I kind of get where why this kind of blew up a bit. But I just find the success of it interesting. I think it says a lot about how many people relate to the drudgery of being a cashier. Definitely, specifically that versus like a labor position of just standing and scanning all day.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. I I definitely think so. But I, I think waiters are kind of adjacent to that. Like I would think, like the movie Waiting (laughs) would be in that genre.
1: (laughs) Definitely, definitely. (laughs) This came out in like early. Late two thousands, early two thousand tens, right where that the waiting movie was. Uh-huh. It's similar vibes to me. Yeah, <laughs> waiting is one of the secret touchstones of our generation, where we all know that movie because yeah. it's always on Comedy Central.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was always Jane my Cook was the actual cook. Yeah, which is oh my god, just... I never
1: even made that connection.
0: Yeah, James <laughs> Cook.
1: That's amazing. All right, well, that's it for genres. I only have one more thing. Uh huh. And it's some breaking news. And I'm talking news that came out today that is, I don't think you've heard yet, but it directly affects you, Jess. Me? A federal judge has blocked the Texas Reader Act.
0: Is that House Bill 900?
1: I believe so. So the... Duconian pro-censorship book banning law that the Reader Act was set to go effective September 1st today that we're recording the law, the law would require development of a manual of the state library and archives A body appointed by the governor to determine standards for materials available in schools And would demand vendors to rate every single book they sell or have sold
0: Yes, well, I did hear about that this morning Okay
1: I figured you might have. Yes. Yeah. But that's exciting. So would you be able to explain this bill real quick? Because this is I, big news. I really
0: only know like how it generally affects like school librarianship. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but school libraries in Texas could only purchase books from vendors. And, and it's mainly the reason why it was blocked were these vendors were or had a lawsuit out against Um, the state because Mm -hmm. this puts an extra burden on them especially uh the smaller businesses so so so, okay so the vendors would have to have this rating system and every single book that they sold to a library would have to be rated by mm -hmm. them uh, based on whatever like arbitrary things that the state would provide uh, right
1: So no one knew what that was. There's no no system for any of this. Yes,
0: but then also, like, if you're a small business, Mm -hmm. like, how are you – are you going to hire more personnel? Like, there's no way that you can do that appropriately. You'd have to hire a lawyer,
1: essentially, uh, to, like – not a whole division of people. I, I just wanna say one of the main um
0: Brazos bookstore, right? Or
1: not not Brazos, but Blue Willow Blue Bookshop, Willow. Oh, yeah. a local Houston yeah. bookstore was one of the people who submitted a lawsuit against this. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to shout them out because good on them. Yeah. I, we haven't been there, but I've heard a lot of great things about I've, them.
0: I've also heard a lot of great things about them. But yeah, they're I mean, they're one of many and so yeah, they effectively a judge said, Okay, we're gonna put a stop to this because they have a fair point yeah
1: no basically they're like this is undue burden on freedom of business to you know freedom of these businesses to conduct their business mm-hmm. and there's no real reason to be doing this because obviously the point of the act is to just suppress the sale and mark you know uh, not marketing um
0: but yeah no the sales but the sale and
1: commerce and books and for them to not be able to get to libraries and stuff is effectively a book ban wholesale Yeah. And, you know, for a party that I think would say they're pro-business, it seems like they would be putting a lot of small businesses out of work.
0: Yeah, and that's rather unfortunate.
1: It's, uh, I would say, freaking evil. (laughs) I had to really work on that. the first word I said there. But, yeah, Yeah. no, I'd say it's downright monstrous. And I'd be very curious to see what kind of people or... Kind of people are donating to their campaigns. I would say maybe some big book retailers might be a part of it. Who, no, would, who absolutely, would like this? Yeah, the ones who yeah. could afford to have a whole Large division of people. Large book
0: vendors, yeah, don't have any problem with this yeah. because yeah, they have the lawyers, they have the extra people, they can put throw the money at it.
1: Yeah, Barnes and Noble can do that if they wanted to. Not to. Barnes and Noble, because I like Barnes and yeah, Noble. Yeah, it's but... probably
0: not Barnes and Noble. It's probably more like Mackin or Tidal Wave. Y- no, and like, exactly. The type of book vendors that sell no, directly right. to mm-hmm. like libraries. No,
1: exactly. It's those nameless companies that we don't know, like a scholastic kind of subdivision or something like that. Yeah. But I just want to bring that up because that's some good news. We yeah. with, with Sad Boy somewhere we've been talking a lot about
0: Book, Book Unfortunately, stuff.
1: we didn't mean um, to, but yeah.
0: No, and we didn't mean to, but uh, it just no, kept it coming is, up. Well, it's also just very relevant, and it's it's in the news today, and it, and it's it's it has an effect on on the things that we talk about so yeah, you're a librarian like it
1: just... in texas it, it directly affects your life yeah yeah
0: well not necessarily my life but it affects, your work is affects your affects life the work that i do for sure yeah. um but it
1: affects the lives of the, the people the students you are catering to
0: yeah i definitely think it's a step in the right direction for these smaller vendors yes yeah. i think that's the biggest sure. thing that that is because I would still be able to purchase books right. right for my library. It's just I would only be able to purchase them from these super large vendors. And so that's right. what's mo- the most unfortunate is that mm. I want to be able to support small businesses.
1: Exactly. That's the biggest thing. But also I think I could see this very easily leading to a narrowing of the number of books available. Because yeah. you can only buy them from these bulk companies. Right. Gonna... And
0: then sometimes even these like larger companies might be like, well, I guess we're only selling nonfiction because like...
1: <laughs> well, then it's more efficient to just sell a f- you know, five, 15, 20 books or whatever. <laughs> right. Whereas a small bookstore, they're doing smaller business. They can sell a variety of things that's more advantageous for them.
0: Yeah. So, no.
1: so yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Uh, also, there's a whole New York Times article about John Green and his battle with basically the state of indiana
0: oh yeah uh we yeah. pretty much covered that but things are, things are hot heating up
1: heating up but the uh, article is a great image of which i feel like was probably um uh, fabricated but mm-hmm. someone moved a like a library cart a oh. shelving cart in front of a poster with john green on it this is like read you know, oh, you know you know those Reed, generic yeah. posters you'd see in kids libraries <laughs> so that's interesting i was like that's a that's a great what is it, headline image yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. you tell we're tired
0: yeah well thank you guys for listening yeah. i we hope you enjoyed it i enjoyed recording this this is I'm nice i had no idea that we were going to talk about book genres <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so i have a whole bunch of ideas for topics we'll probably do book genres again at some point but i got a lot of different things i, I want to talk about um so i hope you guys will like it if you do tell us Let us know if you want more of this kind of thing. I think it'd be fun, especially to have in between our bigger book episodes.
0: For sure. It's easier on us, that's for sure. (laughs) That's for
1: dang sure. But also, if you guys want to read along with us, once again, we're doing The Cruel Prince, and we're going to be doing the whole trilogy. Mm -hmm. So you got another week or two to read Cruel Prince before we have an episode out. I'm very excited. Very excited. It's a really fun book. It's an easy easy read, too. If you want to read it, it, it wouldn't take you long. Yeah. Um, oh,
0: most. I feel like that's the most books on our. our no, YA that's most. Podcast, that's true. If that's you're true. an adult, <laughs> that's fair.
1: That's a good point. If anything, it's probably the longest read of all the books. We've I covered. would
0: say so. It's got a lot going on in terms of like world building and all that. But I'll take care. You yeah, No worries.
1: Yeah, don't worry. We got you guys. We yeah, we'll get you. So until next time, thank you. If you want to message us, we're at nsya pod at the gmail at the twitter at the instagram you can find it our theme music's by my friend alex you can find more of his music on his facebook instagram whatever pages at alex moon and remember guys if you want to write a book about satan's burgers someone will publish it yeah they're out there you can do it don't let your dreams be dreams
0: and you know what don't suck
1: don't suck which bizarro book are you gonna get first
0: uh the walrus in space
1: i'm gonna go with house marriage
0: oh oh yeah i forgot about the house one Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I'll read that one.
1: Well, no, I don't want to read it. You're going to read it. Now it's not weird enough. Now it's not bizarre. Now it's mainstream. (laughs) You've ruined it.